Good morning, Grace Redeemer. It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, welcome to you all. Welcome to everyone who's watching on Facebook. We're delighted to have you uh, with us this morning. I just wanted to make a couple of comments before we begin uh, this morning. And uh, as many of you uh, may know, probably all of you know, uh, Chuck Laird passed over the weekend. And um, so that was a, a sad time uh, for Lola and the family. But uh, the beauty of it is that he got to do that on his own terms. He decided that he was going to uh, let the uh, pacemaker be turned off, and so he got to say when it was going to be his time and have, have a say in that. Uh, and so he, he didn't suffer at all. He went peacefully, and he got to make his peace uh, with all in his family. And so death is always sad, and it's always tragic. But Chuck, uh, he got to do it the way he wanted to do it, and, and everybody got to share their love with each other. And so we're praying for Chuck, and we're praying, uh, well, not for Chuck, where Chuck is in glory. We're praying for the family as they deal with the loss of Chuck, but yet uh, we rejoice and we celebrate in his life because he had uh, a good life, and uh, we know that he's with the Lord uh, today, and so we thank God for his life and prayers for Chuck and Lola. And then, uh, you know, my, my message this morning is on oaths, and that seems like something that is uh, rather insignificant in light of all that has been happening in the world in the last 24 hours. And I just want to say a couple words about uh, these shootings in El Paso and the shootings in Dayton, uh, senseless violence, uh, tons of people killed, at least 20 in El Paso, at least nine in Dayton uh, as a result of this gun violence just over the course of the last less than 24 hours now. And so uh, what I want to say about it is that uh, we may question God in these times and we may ask questions like, where is God? Why does God allow such things? And we will certainly hear that from the unbelieving world. Uh, we know that God created this world good and perfect, and God said, uh, it is good. And it is man's sin that came into the world that interrupted that goodness. And when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree, sin entered into the world. Uh, and so we live in a sinful, fallen world, and, and uh, we live with the consequences of that. Uh, and yet God is still in control, and uh, sometimes we, we wonder, is that possible? But when we read passages like Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 25 through 33 that we'll get to in our study in the Sermon on the Mount in a few weeks, uh, we talk about the, the lilies of the field, how they clothe themselves, and why do you worry? You can't make one hair of your head white or black, just like we'll read today. Uh, God is in control of all things, and he allows these things for reasons that sometimes we don't understand, but ultimately uh, all will be for his glory. And we also know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that whether we live or whether we die, we know that when our time comes, we will have eternal life. And God promises us in Revelation that uh, someday he's coming again and there will be no more tears. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes when the new earth comes, the new heaven and the new earth comes, and God comes to live with his people. All suffering will end, and so we look forward to that day. And the hope that we have is in Jesus Christ, and because he died and because he rose, we know that we will live with him. And so we pray for these families in El Paso, and we pray for these families in Dayton, and we uh, pray for all unbelievers because it just goes to show how fleeting life is. We never know what day will be our last uh, by God's uh, will and, and discretion. And so uh, we pray for the unbelieving world that if today should happen to be their last day, that somehow uh, they will come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. And so uh, as we 
uh, come to our message this morning. Uh, that's been heavy on my heart over the past few hours, and so I just wanted to speak about that before we talk about uh, the taking of oaths. So before we get into our message, let's go to the Lord now and uh, ask for help. Uh, Lord, we live in a, in a fallen, sinful world, and it is full of people who are full of hate, Lord, and unless they have your Holy Spirit, unless you intervene in their lives, these shootings we've seen over the last 24 hours are not going to be the last, Lord. We beg you, Lord, that you would impart your Holy Spirit to those who wish to do evil. Lord, would you draw them to yourself, Lord? Would you help us uh, to be agents of reconciliation in this world, Lord? Help us to show the love of Jesus Christ to others so that this world will not be so full of hate and that we might love each other because you loved us first. Lord, uh, we ask for your help this morning as we come to our passage uh, this morning in the Sermon on the Mount in the taking of oaths. And let us understand this morning, Lord, why that is so important. Uh, Lord, uh, as we think about these things and as we think about these things that are heavy on our heart this morning, I pray that you'll give us the grace to understand what it means to be a true disciple of yours, Lord Jesus. Help us to become more Christ-like every day we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we come to our message this morning on the taking of oaths. And so the message is entitled, very creatively, Taking Oaths, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 uh, to 37. So uh, a few years ago, you may remember that Nissan was running a commercial, and that commercial showed uh, one of its powerful pickup trucks uh, pushing this dune buggy up a big sand hill. Uh, and when I first saw it, I was amazed. I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing that a truck can do that. And so... Uh, what happened was that the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, uh, took a look at that and they said, we need to test this thing and see if it can actually do that. And so they found out that this truck could not actually do that. It could not push that dune buggy up that sand hill like that. And so uh, they levied a complaint against Nissan and Nissan's ad agency admitted that they actually doctored uh, that photo to make the angle look steeper than it actually was and that they attached cables to the front of that dune buggy to pull that dune buggy up over the hill. Their defense is the best part. They said, well, we never actually said that it could do this. We just showed it on a picture. And the Federal Trade Commission said, eh, uh, the visual was enough. You intended to mislead your uh, customers, and so uh, they got banged for that. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission filed a suit against Volkswagen. You may, may remember this scandal. This has been going on relatively recently. Uh, so each car, when, uh, when it's being tested, has to undergo emissions testing. And Volkswagen's claim is that it burns uh, clean, efficient diesel fuel. Uh, and so what happened was that for the past seven years, they found out that Volkswagen had been cheating on its emissions tests. They had uh, engineered some kind of software that they put into their cars that, so that the car knew when it was being tested. And for a short period of time, it would run uh, this software program that uh, fooled the emissions testers. And it looked like it ran super clean uh, when in reality it did not. And Volkswagen has paid out something like $15 billion uh, as a result of this scandal. Uh, you know the health food cereal maker called Cashy. Uh, Cashy uh, 
promotes its products as all natural, very healthy products, right? And, and so after testing, it was found that the products were uh, almost entirely synthetic and, nat and unnaturally processed ingredients. And in fact, uh, the, the main primary ingredient that they found in this cashew cereal uh, is a, uh, an ingredient that has been classified as a hazardous substance by the Food and Drug Administration. So uh, for all you cashew eaters, you may want to rethink that. Uh, and so they got dinged by uh, the, the Federal Trade Com Commission also. And even health food uh, baby uh, company Gerber is not immune, if you can believe that. This beautiful little baby, uh, the Gerber company said that they could produce this cereal that would reduce uh, children's allergies. And then when pressed, uh, Gerber could not come up with any evidence to actually prove that the, their baby food could reduce allergies in children. And so uh, they were made to take all of those claims off of their boxes. And so uh, this is what we get in the world of advertising, and uh, we can easily become uh, subject to it and susceptible to it because we trust certain companies. But, you know, it ought not be surprising that corporations don't always tell us the truth, right? I mean, they're in it to make money, and whatever it is that they want to do to make money, they'll say what they have to say, and sometimes they will skirt the truth uh, to do it. And that's why there's a need for a Federal Trade Commission. That's why there are laws against false advertising, because we can't trust companies to tell us the truth. But we often mince our words too, don't we? Sometimes we can't be uh, even as trustworthy as we would like the corporations to be. We don't, we don't fulfill uh, the standards that we put on them. And we change the facts sometimes, and we even change the order of facts so that we might paint ourselves in the best light to other people. And when we do that, uh, we're being misleading to others as well. And when we do it under oath or when we do it after we've taken a vow, well, that is especially serious as well. Now, compared to what we've talked about in the last three weeks, uh, murder, adultery, and divorce, this one may seem like small potatoes compared to those, uh, but I want us to see that this really is a very big deal for Christians. And that's why Jesus puts it in order with these other ones. If it were something that were not uh, serious, he would not have included it in one of his illustrations here. So I'm hoping that we will see by the end of this message uh, that keeping our word is important and that not keeping our word may be just as serious as committing murder, adultery, or uh, being involved in a divorce. So I just want us to re refresh us, remind us where we are in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, because we've been in this. This is our 12th week in the Sermon on the Mount already. So just to review, we had our introduction. Of course, that was verses uh, 5 through 13 and uh, 5 through 6, uh, 1 through 16. And what we saw there is that uh, the Beatitudes were in the first uh, 12 verses. And, and so he told us that we are to be meek, we are to mourn our sin, we're to be poor in spirit, we're to be peacemakers, and so on. And then he told us that we are to go out and we are to be salt and light to a world that needs us to be salt and light uh, to that world. And after that, that introduction, he gave us then uh, the, the main point of the sermon. And that is, is that uh, because of Jesus, because Jesus fulfilled the law and did not abolish the law, uh, we're not necessarily required to keep the, the ceremonial requirements of the law anymore, but we are required to obey the law's moral aspects, and that is to love God and to love others, because that reflects the nature and the character of God. And then Jesus said in verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall by no means enter into heaven. 
And we talked about how that would have dropped the jaws of the people who were listening to them because they thought the scribes and Pharisees were as righteous as you could be. And so Jesus gives then six illustrations to show them how their righteousness has to go uh, past what the scribes and Pharisees did. And, and so we've seen already that there are six illustrations and applications. We've been through murder, adultery, and divorce. And now we come to the fourth illustration, and that is uh, this idea about taking oaths. So we'll read the passage, and then we'll look at it under three headings, uh, what the law taught, what the scribes and Pharisees taught, and then what Jesus taught. So let's read it again. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Okay, so let's take a look at what the law taught, first of all. By now, uh, we've, we're familiar with this introductory phrase that Jesus used with, these, with his introductions. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told. And, and what we understand, it, it, he's not condemning the law here. He's condemning what they had heard about the law through the scribes and Pharisees. That's what he's uh, uh, correcting. And so when we come to verse 33... It's not an exact quote of any one thing that Moses said about oaths and vows, but it is kind of a summary statement of what Moses taught about oaths and vows. Uh, A vow or or an oath is a promise uh, that you make with God as your witness, and then you're asking God to be your judge in the event that you uh, should break that oath or vow. And so Moses often wrote of the evil of swearing and not keeping the oath that you swore. And so I just want us to see a few examples. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, this is the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Leviticus chapter 19, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. Numbers chapter 30, when a man vows a vow to the Lord, he shall not break his word. Deuteronomy 23, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not be slack to pay it. So what we see here is that it's not the taking of the oath that's the problem, right? It's the not keeping the oath that's the problem. It's, it's making a vow, making an oath, and then failing to fulfill what it was that you promised to do. And, and oath-taking is actually very common in the Bible. I could read a whole lot of verses uh, that show that oaths were very common in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, I want you to see that it's actually a command You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. And so it's told to us that that, uh, it's a commandment there, and we see it throughout the the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 24, you remember when uh, Abraham was looking for a a wife for his son Isaac, uh, he, he enlisted his servant and he said this, he said, I want you to go uh, to, uh, to uh, he said, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country, to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. 
So this is a good example about when an oath is appropriate. This is a very solemn matter. This is a very serious matter. It's very important that uh, Isaac does not take a wife from among the Canaanites, but that he take a wife from among Abraham's own people. And so insisting on the oath conveys the importance of the task and that failure is not an option. So we see Old Testament oaths. We also see New Testament oaths. Paul took oaths several times, uh, and I'll just give you two examples. In 2 Corinthians 1, he said, But I call God as my witness to my soul, that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. And then in Galatians 1, he also said, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying." And I could cite other instances of Paul swearing and taking taking an oath before God. I want us to think about Peter even. You'll remember uh, that Peter uh, was following the Lord, uh, and when the Lord was arrested, uh, Peter followed at a distance. And we have this passage from Matthew chapter 26, where we see Peter actually swearing oaths about uh, his relationship to Jesus. And so the first time when Peter is confronted, he makes just a general denial. Uh, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. Uh, But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. So we just have a general statement here. Here's a general denial. But then he's going to be confronted a second time, and this time he takes an oath as to not knowing Jesus. Verse 71, when he had gone out of the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, saying, I do not know the man. So now we have a general statement, and then we have an oath. Now, one way that you secured the oath was then to call down curses from God on yourself if you happen not to be telling the truth. So now Peter, in the next two verses, takes it one step further. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. So we have a general statement, uh, increased by the oath, and then increased again by the curses being called down. Now, the fact that Peter didn't uh, keep his oath, the fact that he wasn't telling the truth, doesn't mean that oaths were not practiced. We see that oaths are practiced. The problem is not with the oath, it's, it's with not keeping the oath. And so uh, we see... Uh, Paul taking oaths, we see Peter taking oaths, even Jesus himself uh, allowed himself to be uh, put under oath when he was examined by the high priest. You remember on the night of his trial, uh, the high priest questioned him saying, I adjure you, that means I place you under oath uh, by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So the high priest had asked him two times who he was, and Jesus refused to answer. But now, after the high priest put him under oath and Jesus allowed himself to be put under oath, then he gave this confession, which, of course, they uh, translated as blasphemy, which led uh, to Jesus ultimately uh, ending up on the cross. So even Jesus allowed himself to be put under oath, and even God himself Uh, put himself under oath. Do you remember the covenant that he made with Abraham in uh, Genesis 22? He said, by myself I have sworn, because uh, Abraham had offered up Isaac 
Uh, He said, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. So we see that all the way back in Genesis. And then the author of Hebrews, uh, again, affirms that God made that oath. He said, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. So we see that it's not the taking of the oath that's wrong, right? Oaths are all over the Bible. We see them all over the place. If God did it, if Jesus did it, if Paul did it, if it's proscribed by the Old Testament, then surely it can't be wrong. So the question is then, why did Jesus say not to take oaths? Well, I want us to look then at the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees to see what it is that Jesus was actually condemning. So we'll look at what the scribes and Pharisees taught. By Jesus' time, the scribes and Pharisees had built up this elaborate system of how they were going to take oaths and which oaths were binding and which oaths were not binding. And again, it's the old Pharisee trick of trying to see how much we can get away with and still be uh, able to deem ourselves in compliance uh, with the law. And so the way that the oaths evolved was that uh, you could swear by just about anything and it would not be binding. But if you swore by God, then that oath was binding. And so uh, Barclay, the commentator, uh, said this about their oaths. Whoops. He said, to the Jew, an oath was absolutely binding so long as it was a binding oath. Broadly speaking, a binding oath was an oath which definitely and without equivocation Uh, employed the name of God. Such an oath must be kept no matter what the cost. Any other oath might be legitimately broken. And so this system had evolved over time, and this is what the scribes and Pharisees were teaching. And so most of their oaths really weren't oaths because they had no intention of keeping them. The problem was that the listener didn't know that, right? The listener uh, thought it was an oath, but it was not. And so the oath became meaningless. And so if we look back to this command that we looked at earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall swear by his name, and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. So what we're seeing is that it's assumed that all swearing is going to be by God. But now the scribes and Pharisees, they're very clever. And so what they did was they took the third commandment, uh, which I'll show you again, Uh, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so what they did was, they took the first half of this statement, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God, and that was going to be their law. They ignored the in vain part of it. And so again, they're focusing on the wrong part of the verse. It's not that you're not supposed to take the name of the Lord your God at any time for any reason. There are times when we're supposed to do that. It's that you're not supposed to do it in vain. And the way we do it in vain is when we lie and when we, we don't tell the truth, when we make an oath and then we break it. And so what Exodus teaches is that we're not, it, it's not teaching that we don't uh, ever swear by the Lord our God. It, it's teaching that we don't swear by the Lord our God and then break the promise or don't keep the oath. And so they avoided using God's name, and then they broke their oaths uh, whenever they felt like it. And so the the Pharisees had developed this ingenious system uh, by which they were able to give oaths that they were not required to keep. And if someone was accused of lying, well, the defense was, uh, I didn't swear by God, I swore by fill in the blank, whatever it was that you wanted to swear by. And so uh, they were able to absolve themselves of, of guilt, they thought that way. 
Uh, but the swearing of the oaths became so distorted that as the listener, you had no idea whether you could believe or trust that oath, and you had to be an expert in knowing uh, what an oath actually entailed and when they were obligated to fulfill it uh, to carry out that oath. And so uh, this was a big problem. And so Jesus, you know, he called them out for this tactic, not only here in chapter 5, but in, in chapter 23, uh, when he's uh, giving out these woes on the Pharisees, one of the woes was that they were hypocrites and that they were liars. So I want us to look at that uh, briefly. This is how Jesus called them out. He said, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by both the temple and him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and by he who sits upon it. And so Jesus here is giving specific examples of this elaborate system of oaths that they were taking, where they're obligated in this case, not obligated in that case, depending on who you were and what your standard was in terms of whether you believed you had to fulfill an oath or not. And so uh, if they swore by the temple, they were not bound. But if they swore by the gold in the temple, then they were bound. And they were not bound if they swore by the altar, but if they swore by uh, whatever was on the altar, then they were bound. And so this whole affair uh, was just completely chaotic. Uh, it made oaths absolutely worthless. And if you have to question whether the person who is giving the oath is swearing by something that made the oath uh, going to be kept, well, really, what's the point of the oath at all? And so the, the scribes and Pharisees were just encouraging these oaths that were easily evaded. I think sometimes about when, when you ask somebody a question and, and they say, well, to be honest with you, and then they give you their answer, uh, why does that need to be said? Uh, I don't know why we say that. Uh, were you not being honest with me before? And I can throw out everything else, but now I have to pay attention because now you're being honest with me? That's not what they mean, of course. It's just a figure of speech. It's a throwaway phrase when perhaps they're about to reveal more of themselves than they're comfortable with or, or whatever. But it's offhanded comment that is used uh, frequently in our society. And, and the scribes and Pharisees uh, kind of used this oath in the same way. Uh, they, had, they, they would attach an oath to just about anything. There was no requirement for, that it be a solemn occasion or a unique occasion. They would just swear an oath and, and attach it to any single thing. And so they wouldn't then require themselves to keep it. So the oath, oath was pointless because of overuse. When you attach an oath to everything, uh, then the oath itself becomes meaningless. And it was misleading because it was impossible to know if the person intended to be bound by their oaths. I don't know if you did this, but when I was a kid, uh, our, our, our group of friends used to say things, but we would have our fingers crossed behind our backs. And somehow that made the untruth that we were saying uh, okay, because, you know, we had our fingers crossed behind our backs after all, and surely you know that my fingers are behind my back uh, and crossed. So that's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing, and this is what Jesus was calling out. Uh, he was saying, uh, you guys are making oaths, you're telling what people believe are truth, but it's not truth. And so uh, that is what Jesus came to condemn. So let's talk about what Jesus taught. You know, when you think 
about Jesus, one of the first things that comes to my mind is truth. Jesus is truth, right? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. John said, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. James said this, every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Uh, John 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is truth. God is truth. The word is truth. And so Jesus could not sit by idly and watch this hypocritical practice of oaths going on. He couldn't not say something about that. He had to correct them uh, for what they were saying. And so truth is the very nature and character of God. And think about that. Why do we believe the gospel? Why do we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead? And why do we believe that when Jesus said, uh, I promise you that, that where I am going, you will be, and I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you will someday be? Well, we believe that because Jesus Christ is truth. And if we thought he was a liar, then we wouldn't believe that. Because, but, but because we know his word is true, uh, we come to trust him. We come to trust his promises because he is truth. And his truth is the basis of our faith. Truth is the nature and character of God. But the opposite of that is falsehood and lies. So when we hear Jesus talking about Satan, it's no surprise that he says this about Satan. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so the scribes and Pharisees are following the practices of Satan. They're lying and they're, they're putting big elaborate oaths on top of it to make it look like they're not, but they're following uh, who Jesus called their father, the devil. And so if we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to tell the truth. That has to be a part of our, our very fabric. We must say what we mean, and we must, must mean what we say. The scribes and Pharisees uh, practiced deception, and they encouraged others to do the same. And they were following what they deemed to be the strict letter of the law, which meant don't commit perjury. And perjury, in their mind, was swearing by God and then breaking the oath. So they swore falsehood by just about anything else, and they thought that they were getting in under the wire and still uh, deeming themselves to be righteous. And so uh, that is the problem that Jesus is dealing with. So uh, let's look at our passage again. Matthew chapter 5. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. So as we look at verses 34 and 30, through 36 here, each of the things that they were swearing by, uh, they belong to God. And so uh, Isaiah said in 66.1, he said, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And so when you think about that, the Jewish distinctions that they were making were absolutely absurd because everything belongs to God. Heaven is God's home, his dominion. Earth is his footstool. Uh, Jerusalem is his holy city. Even the hairs on our head, we might think we have control over our head, but we don't have control over our heads, do we? Uh, God controls everything. 
Uh, and whether we live or whether we die or whether our brains continue to function as uh, God intended, that's all God's sovereignty that has nothing to do with us. So no matter what we swear by, it makes no difference. To swear by something other than God is to still swear by God because he controls it all. And avoiding the use of God's name does not change our obligation to tell the truth. I was on a jury a couple weeks ago, as you know, uh, and every witness who came up to the witness stand was asked to raise their right hand and swear that the testimony that they were about to give was going to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, I did notice, sadly, that they're no longer required to say, so help me God, nor are they required to put their left hand on the Bible anymore. They just have to stand there before the judge uh, and make that oath. But my question is this, if Jesus said, we, uh, as Christians, we're not supposed to take oaths, what do you think that means? Does that mean that we really shouldn't take our oath in court? Uh, should we refuse to take them? I don't think that that is what Jesus meant. I think that Jesus meant that we're not supposed to take oaths in the way that the scribes and Pharisees took oaths, uh, not swearing by the proper thing and then never intending to uphold uh, the oath that we took. Uh, the oath really is a tragic reminder of the human condition. We, in our fallen condition, are sinful. We're liars. The things that we say cannot be trusted, and so they place us under oath to try to increase uh, the solemnity and the, and the credibility of the witness who is going to be speaking. Uh, it seems, at least I've heard stories, that in ages past, you know, a man's a handshake was his bond and his word was his contract, and if that ever was true, it sure isn't true anymore. And now the presumption is that we're lying, right? And that's why uh, lawyers draw up 100-page contracts uh, to try and close every single loophole possible because they know that people are more likely to try and get out of their contracts than they are to try and fulfill uh, their contracts. Uh, as Christians, we have to acknowledge that there is evil and there is lying in the world. And if we're called to testify in a matter, we should be willing to take the oath. It's because we live in a fallen world, and it's proof that the world is not how God originally designed it, and it's the result of the fall. And so when we take the oath, uh, our oath is so that we will represent Christianity well, that we will represent Christ well, that we will represent other Christians well. You all remember the Bill Clinton impeachment hearings from 20-plus years ago or so, uh, when he pointed at his questioner and he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Do you all remember that? Uh, I remember that. Was that honest? Well, maybe by the very strict letter of the law, that may have been honest. I don't know. But we all know what happened, and we all know that he was twisting uh, the plain meaning of language to avoid answering the question and telling the truth. That's why Jesus said uh, in verse 37, let your statement be yes, yes or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. You can't misconstrue or misunderstand yes or no, right? They're as plain or simple as an answer as, as you can get, and your hearer can certainly understand that. Uh, any of you who have ever uh, had a misunderstanding with someone else know that it's, it's hard enough to communicate what you're trying to communicate when you are trying to tell the truth, right? We, we often say something to somebody and they get offended by it and we have to say, wait a minute, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean to say it that way. Uh, I'm sorry, this is what I meant to say. And then hopefully you clear up the misunderstanding. So language is hard enough when, you, when two people are trying to communicate honestly. If you're trying to tell a lie, well, it's certainly very easy uh, to deceive someone else. Uh, so 
Lawyers, of course, make a living cross-examining people because when they get on the stand, they're not always telling the truth, and the lawyers have to ask a million questions to try and cut through whatever uh, falsehoods they may be saying up there. And if we were more truthful, uh, there wouldn't be a need for that. Well, here's why telling the truth is so important, and this is why it's one of the examples that Jesus gave, along with murder, adultery, and divorce. Oaths is right in there with them. It's because God watches everything we do, and so does everyone else who knows that you are a Christian. And so we we should always speak as if we are speaking in the presence of God, because we are. God is everywhere, and when we speak, uh, he is listening to us. And so we should speak as though we're in the presence of God. We should also speak as though we're speaking to God, because he hears everything that we say. Well, if we claim to be Christians, uh, we kind of hold ourselves up to a higher standard when we claim to be Christians. Uh, We certainly uh, say that we would like to say that we behave at a higher standard than the rest of the world. And uh, along with that standard, a truth is a very strong component. We don't think that truth is relative. Uh, We don't think uh, that that truth is whatever you want it to be. We think that truth is actual, that, that, that it exists, that there is actual truth, and that it can be and should be spoken. And when we call ourselves Christians, it means something to us, it means something to God, and it means something to others as well. They watch our behavior, and they notice if our walk matches or doesn't match our talk. And they love to catch us in hypocrisy, and it hurts our witness. Lying, misrepresenting, deceiving, all affect our walk with God and our witness to others. And that's why there's nothing worse than when a Christian pastor falls, whether it's in sexual sin or lying or whatever he may be, stealing, embezzling, whatever he gets caught doing. That is so damaging uh, to the integrity of Christianity. I represented a uh, pastor at one time uh, up in New Jersey, and, and Uh, He was a very ambitious pastor, and he had great plans to rehabilitate his church building, and he wanted to uh, revitalize the community, but he had one small problem, and that was he was under a mountain of debt. And he just needed me to kind of help clear up some of his problems, work out some arrangements with creditors, etc. And so uh, I took a retainer fee, and then I agreed to do the work with him, and I trusted that he would pay me for the rest because he was a pastor. Well, I learned the hard way, uh, that what happened was that he was a compulsive liar. And I learned that after dealing with him, that he lied to me over and over again. And then I found out that there were creditors that he had been bamboozling over the years over and over again. And the deeper I got in, the harder it was to get out. Uh, Ultimately, he ended up filing for bankruptcy. Uh, Needless to say, I never got paid. Uh, But uh, that just doesn't damage me personally, right? It damages all of Christian uh, witness. And so I told him that. I said, uh, you know, the money that you owe me and that you're beating me out of, that's one thing. But you are being a bad witness uh, to the rest of the world who is looking at you calling yourself a Christian. You shouldn't do that. Uh, and so that's where it was left. But uh, he, he, uh, he just didn't honor his word. And, and that's, it's damaging to, to Christianity. And so as Christians, we must always tell the truth. Jesus said, let our yes be yes. Yet our, let our no be no, anything beyond these is evil. So may truth reign in our lives. May the world know that we believe that God is our witness and that uh, his witness compels us to tell the truth, that we are people of integrity. 
Now, when we fail, let's remember that Peter also failed, as we read earlier, and Jesus gave him grace, even though uh, Peter denied him three times. Uh, So there's always grace for us who are in Christ Jesus. But uh, our obligation is to tell the truth uh, because of our witness to God and because of our witness to others. So I have a quote from William Barclay, and we'll let this be the last word. So then, this saying of Jesus leaves two obligations upon us. It leaves upon us the obligation to make ourselves such that men will so see our transparent goodness that they will never ask an oath from us. Wouldn't that be nice? That We don't even ever have to be asked to take an oath because our character is beyond uh, any, uh, any question. And second, it leaves upon us the obligation to seek to make this world such a world that falsehood and infidelity will be so eliminated from it that the necessity for oaths will be abolished. And that's what we can accomplish by our Christian witness. May it ever be so. Amen? Amen. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you are truth, and that gives us an example to follow. Uh, Lord, we cannot do this by ourselves. We always uh, figure out a way to get ourselves in trouble and try to talk our way out of it. Uh, Lord, may we truly accept the consequences of what we do and own up and not lie if we've gotten ourselves into some trouble. Lord, when when we say something, when we take an oath, when we take a vow, uh, help us to fulfill that vow, Lord. May we be Christians of integrity. There is a world watching, Lord, a world, as we've seen in the news over the past 24 hours, that is so desperate to hear this good news, Lord. Uh, We pray that as Christians, uh, we would be people that they could look to And they would ask us and say, what is it about you that's different? I want to know. Lord, help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.